time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. i got to get used to my own new intro there. I like that. I love your feedback. I got a lot of positive feedback on that. It's good to have you with us. It's July 10th. Can you believe it? Many of you are dialed in from all over the country, and we appreciate you. So much feedback comes in, and some of the feedback's going on is there's a lot happening at GSE reform that is front and center in front of everyone's mind right now, especially with David Stevens' testimony before the Senate Banking Committee. By the way, David Stevens will be on next week, but I'm leading that up is we've got Bill Cosgrove, past president of the MBA, president, chairman of Union Home Mortgage, on with us today. Alice's boss. How about that? So anyway, we enticed him to come on. He just published an article on GSE reform in Housing Wire. It was published on June 29th. It starts out like this. It says, there appears to be a concerted, well-funded campaign out there spreading the myth that congressional GSE reform is bad for small lenders. That's how he starts out the first sentence. And we're going to be talking about why this is actually good for small lenders. And so the whole month of July, we're focusing on GSE reform, as I said earlier, and we're kicking it off, and I can't think of anyone better to do that, especially with him publishing this article, than our good friend, Bill Cosgrove. Of course, we appreciate you being here and telling others about it. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It's for mortgage professionals, and we're really honored that you have told so many, again, hundreds of thousands of downloads of this podcast. Uh, It's just amazing to me, the audience that we have. And it's because you've taken time to share it. And I'm looking at people dialing in from all over. I think we got another one of those programs which is going to hit a good chord. So anyway, appreciate you tuning in. want to say a big thank you out to Alice, Andy, Joe, and of course, Paul dialing in to help make this program so contribute to it so much. We're committed to bringing you relevant content in an audio format. Love Rob Crispin, the Crispin Report. He does it in a written format. Rob does a great job. Always go grab Rob's content. But if you're looking for something in an audio format, when you're commuting, when you're driving around, working out, whatever you're doing, out and about, you know, motion's a good thing, a little sedentary here at times in the mortgage industry. Grab our app and the App Store and the Google Play and download and listen to us while you're actively out there doing something. By the way, we are podcasting today from sunny San Diego, and I'm out here with a new client, Global Equity Finance Incorporated. We're here in their offices doing some consulting for the next three days. Really excited to be here. Let's see here. So much to talk about. We've got the Mortgage Collaborative Conference that's coming up here, the user conference in Nashville. Want to attend that. And also, I just got registered for the MBA National. If you're not registered for the MBA National Conference that's coming up in Denver, you got to go online and get that done, folks. The rooms are getting booked up. Scarfed up my room, scarfed up the registration. We're in and on. Get it done. We uh, start off with Joe Farr, and sometimes we put the loan logics kind of at the end of that. But today, because of what Les is talking about, I want to put him in front of Joe's comments, and it's Les Parker giving us a macro view of what's going on in the markets. And with that, let's go over and listen to what Les has to say. Thanks, Dave. This is Market Logics Live, sponsored by Loan Logics. 
We're all chained to the bankers. So comfortable we trade in a bubble, a bubble so comfortable we cannot see the trouble, the trouble. Jared Dillian, Street Freak, defines bubble for us. A bubble is not simply a matter of overvaluation. It has to be accompanied by an obsession or preoccupation with an asset class. When you see people making haystacks of cash all out of proportion to their intelligence or work ethic, then you have a bubble. Here's a list of some bubbles. Real estate in Canada, Australia, or Sweden. Cryptocurrencies. Emerging market sovereign credit. What happens if emerging market sovereign credit pops? Treasuries benefit, but for how long? The great repricing could happen fast. These views are my own. Go to loanlogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. I always like his music metaphors, and he got a new mic. Can you tell? It sounds better. Good job, Les. I always appreciate your perspective. So that's the macro perspective. And now let's dive into what's happening today. We've got Joe Farr on the line. Thanks, Joe, for being here. Always appreciate you tuning in or dialing in and sharing with our listeners what's happening. So I'm sitting here with just operating my laptop, not my normal four screens in front of me, so don't have your website up right at the moment. But, man, I miss it. We've been in a very narrow range today, like from up two to up four, and pretty much okay. stayed inside that two thirty second range. No economic data came out today. You know, stocks are pretty flat as well. We do have a Fed speaker later today, but it's like late this evening, so it won't affect the markets today. But looking at last week, Dave, we, we had, much like we had the week before, a rise in rates, and it was driven again by the ECB. This time, you know, you'll remember two weeks ago, it was uh, Mario Draghi making comments about you know, the possible time to begin tapering the, their 60 billion euro monthly purchases of bonds, and that spooked the market. Well, this time the minutes came out, this week the minutes came out, and they kind of confirmed what he was saying. You know, it, it got another, moved another leg lower last week as a result of that, and MBS prices fell, mortgage rates in, ended the week higher. Also last week, the minutes of the U.S. Fed meeting came out, and since there were no real surprises in it, it really had little effect on the market. The economic data that came out last week was surprisingly good, though better than expected. Both the ISM manufacturing and the ISM services indexes improved from the prior month and beat expectations. And then the non-farm payrolls report was kind of a mixed report in that the number of jobs beat the expectations. Both the, the current month and prior months were revised higher, showing uh, uh, good growth in jobs. The unemployment rate rose, but for good reasons, really, because more people entered the labor force. The the surprise really came in the wage inflation. The average hourly earnings came in a little lower than expected at just 2.4% annual rate of inflation. That helped mortgage rates, which kind of offset the harm that the, the better jobs might have done. And, and so the reaction to the jobs report was unusually small on Friday. And the Fed speakers. Fed speakers are coming out. As I mentioned, the San Francisco President Williams is speaking this evening late. A couple more speak tomorrow. And then Janet Yellen begins her semiannual testimony before Congress Wednesday. So Wednesday at 8.30 Eastern time, her opening comments are going to be released. And then she actually will be in front of the House Financial Services Committee at, at 10. And then she does it again on Thursday in front of the Senate Banking Committee. Friday's big day for economic data includes retail sales and CPI both coming out at 8.30 on Friday. You might remember last time 
they were both released that time. It was on the 14th. Both weak sales and low inflation caused a very nice improvement in mortgage rates. Don't know that we'll see that this time, but they are a combination of pretty important economic indicators. Before they come out, we have the JOLTS report tomorrow and uh, PPI mm-hmm. on Thursday, and then a 10-year Treasury auction on Wednesday, 30-year auction on, on Thursday. So, you know, there's a good bit to pay attention to this week. Lots to pay attention. Disappointing to learn that wages have not grown any. Uh, of course, That's that would take off inflation. Then. Yeah, good to see the job growth, but to see those wages uh, still not kind of being where they're at. That's interesting. My, it's interesting. My daughter was traveling throughout Europe on a study abroad program, and she was plugging in, and they were doing, it's a part of the Baylor uh, Business School, and they were talking a lot about wages and minimum wage at some of the countries. It's really interesting to see what variance there is there. But it is what it is. We mark it, you, we track it, and you track it, and you present yeah. it. Joe, I do not know why an LO in our industry would not subscribe to this. This is such affordable service. It should be just for everybody. And don't you work with companies if you get a whole group of people that come on and, and will, you'll, you'll give them some price discounts if a large group come on? Sure. for That's what I thought. You, you do some pricing considerations on that basis. And they not want to give away something before you for free. <laughs> it's not for free, but I mean, you, you work with companies. And so, folks, if you're listening to this and you're an LO and you want this and you think it's right to – it's too expensive. Probably you're not producing enough. You gotta, that's another problem. But it's because uh-huh. it's very affordable, even at the full price. But the more important is get your boss, get a hold of your company, and tell them they need to sign up, get get a package deal from Joe, and get this signed up and have it on your app. Good job, Joe. Appreciate it. What you do, and I love your website, man. You're a good man. Thanks, Dave. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. So good to have you with us. Again, it's July 10th. We're moving through the year so quickly. I forgot to thank our sponsors at the opening of the program. So my apologies. Arch MI, the creator of the new innovative Rate Star program, Motivity Solutions, with their real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards. Gosh, that's a valuable service. Velma, we had Brent Embler on. Go back and listen to that program last week over the 4th of July weekend. For the many of you that took that time off, go listen to that program. They talked a lot about how you can mine your existing database. Mining your data and how you can go get business out of your past customer base. Independent mortgage bankers aren't so good at that. We've got to work on that. And Simplify, our real-time electronic communication anywhere, exchange of data. Also, Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. You've got to get signed up for this, folks. It's a great place to meet people, and you really connect significantly. And, of course, now Finastra, which is the new company, the new rebranding of DNH. They're moving your world through technology, and we're excited to have them here with us as well. Also joining us, Alice Alvey, whose boss is Bill Cosco, new boss. I'm just, I'm still amazed that Bill pulled that off. I, I knew he was a good salesman, Alice, 
But he did something to pull you away from there at the end of the because you had a great job there, and we're so happy for you because I love what Bill's doing out at his company. So what you got for us? Thanks, Dave. I'm so excited to hear what Bill has to talk about because I know he will have words of wisdom that everyone wants to listen to over and over again. Yeah, so, so for my segment here, what I'd like to make sure everyone is aware of is the CFPB has published two items. So one of the items is a final rule with some clarifications to TRID. Many of them are technical corrections, so we're excited. (laughs) The compliance department is excited to dissect the 560 pages that are out there. So we haven't (laughs) quite gotten through all of that, but from what we can see on the surface, for the most part, there isn't anything overly intrusive there. We generally, it's going through some technical corrections. We will get a tolerance um, for total payments, which was missing in the prior regulation, the original TRID rule that was published. Basically, the assumption was if your finance charges and APR were all right, then in theory, your total payments should be correct. But there are some things that can happen with ARMS um, and the way the calculations were done. So it's good to get that part cleared up. There'll be two amendments that establish partial clarify some exemptions for your housing finance. You who want to dare into that risky space are now clearly included in TRID, so that was a gray area before. And then there's a component in here that's also talking about sharing of the CD, which I'll be talking more about next week. So for this week's show, we'll focus that, and that's a final rule, but not effective until October 1st of 2018, so we have plenty of time to go through that one. What I do want to share with everyone, the other one is a proposed rule. It's open for our comments. Um, This is starting 60 days from about now, so better do it now before you lose track for the rest of summer. And the Bureau is proposing to eliminate the complexity within this four-day rule that exists prior to closing when you issue the CD. This, I I think, is a very significant change. We want to make sure we are behind this as an industry to eliminate this four-day rule. What that means is if you issue a CD early, we're going to get clarification that we can use the CD for redisclosure. And I don't have to read because I can't issue an LE after I get a CD out. And I want to be able to use the CD for change of circumstances. And there's been some gray area here where lenders interpret this slightly different. So, again, this is newer, just published the other day. We're still um, waiting to get some other industry comments from it. I'll continue to talk about it as the comment period remains open and we see more comments come out from other lenders and trade groups. Definitely one worth dissecting right away. I think it would be absolutely great to eliminate this four-day rule, especially for companies who have mastered issuing an early CD. This rule will help add a lot of efficiency for those who haven't yet, but for those who have, it'll also add some clarity and certainty in redisclosing and using the CD for redisclosure. So that is a comment that's published on the CFPB website. You can go to consumerfinance.gov or you can just Google CFPB and I'm sure it'll come up as your first hit after your YouTube hits. So <laughs> in any case, um, <laughs> just want to make sure everyone gets looking at that now uh, to get your comments in. We do want to stand behind this so that and keep them on it for and change. And the final rule, we'll be talking about more as we dissect and make sure we're all on the same page for where the changes are that impact your day-to-day mortgage origination. So I'll pass it back to you, Dave. I think, man, I travel. I must have got my ears clogged because I thought I heard you say the CFPB is trying to bring clarity to something. That Did I? <laughs> it's like, that was just a... 
Uh, CFPB and Clarity are an oxymoron, I thought. So right. anyway, don't mean to be harsh. Oh, harsh on our CFPB friends and our listeners. We do have some from there, but I always have fun with them. But that's encouraging, very encouraging. Some good encouraging well, signs. Well, a lot of things that they said verbally, right? We've even had to do that in our trainings where we've had to say, well, verbally we've gotten this. And, you know, companies have shared verbal guidance, even verbal yeah. from CFPB in large groups. So it will be good to get some of this just firmly put in writing. So, so true, folks. Thank you, Alice. Good job. Looking forward to having us get to interview your boss. That'd be fun. He's such a good guy. Do you, can you look at Bill? He's, he's just such a teddy bear. Good guy. Is it hard to think of him as a boss? He's so friendly. So anyway, appreciate it. You being here and for you encouraging me to reach out to me and pointing the article out so we can have Bill on to talk about this important topic. So good stuff, folks. We're going to be right back after this brief ad break. Thank you for our sponsors. Here's our first one, Velma. Are you using one of those expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Truly a good network, good stuff, good marketing, good networks. You got it all here, folks. Encourage you to check out our sponsors. If you're thinking about sponsoring, you should on this radio program. We got a large audience, and our sponsors are loving it. So let's get over to Sam Garcia, Mortgage Daily, MortgageDaily.com. Encourage you to check it out. The headlines and the data. Lots of great stuff there. Sam Garcia, good to have you with us, friend. And you're just north of me. I'm down here in San Diego, and you're still out here in Southern California. You know, where do you go when you live in Texas? It gets a little hot. Head to the coast. I'm not finding much relief here. I'm staying here in the Laguna area, and if you're not right on the beach, it's pretty damn hot still for California. Hope, yeah, hope that's cool. A little, a little bit toasty. It is. It was beautiful here yesterday when I was driving around. Anyway, let's get into the headlines. What you got? Well, you know, of course, we cover that jobs report that you and Joe talked about, and the BLS indicated that non-bank mortgage industry employment totaled 336,700 people as of May. And that was about 2,800 more positions than in April. And, you know, that growth came, again, despite our predictions earlier this, this year that home lenders would reduce staffing as rates were expected to rise. As we always do, of course, we estimated overall industry employment, including mortgage jobs at financial institutions. And that's based on an analysis of the Bureau of Labor Statistics data and origination market share. That came to 731,200. That's our estimate for May for total jobs. And that total includes 315,600 mortgage jobs estimated at banks, 78,900 positions at credit unions, and then the 336 
1,700 non-bank employees reported by the BLS. So that's where we stand now. Industry's still growing, so it's always good news. On the downside, HSBC, uh, we did a wire news story, and it indicated that HSBC is laying off nearly 200 employees in Florida. And that was a long time coming because those job cuts are being made as a strategic wind-down of HSBC finance, which stopped originating years ago, not long after the crisis began. Our mortgage market index for the week that ended on July 7th, which is an indicator of upcoming loan originations uh, based on rate lock volume over at open close, it tumbled 28% from a week earlier. No big deal because last week included July 4th, and we expected that. But a more meaningful measurement, a comparison of uh, the, se- the same week last year, reflected a 36% plunge. So it uh, was down you know, year over year. Um, the biggest week-over-week week drop was with adjustable rate mortgages, which plummeted 44%. Though that's a small share of overall business, so it can tend to be a little volatile. Data reported by the American Bankruptcy Institute indicate that there were more than 63,000 consumer bankruptcies filed in June. And although that was down from more than 66,000 a month earlier, it was more than the 63,000 bankruptcies previously reported for June 2016. So a little bit of a deterioration there. Reverse Market Insight reported that more than 4,800 reverse mortgages were endorsed by FHA last month. That was about the same as in May. But volume actually jumped from nearly 3,800 in June 2016. So a little bit of an uptick there in home equity conversion mortgage activity. We went ahead and published a story about some upcoming events in the mortgage industry. And, you know, after uh, tallying up through the end of the year, we've got about 70 mortgage-related events scheduled on our calendar through the end of this year growing too because we're still picking up some more events but lots of opportunity we, we you know as you know we carry a, we maintain a mortgage conference calendar for each month it's got a, a link to the to the event and it's uh, if you often it tell, we write about how much it costs and when it starts and lasts and where it's at and all that. so you can find a lot of details that are useful if you are able to get out to these things despite an increased delinquency on overall consumer credit assets at banks the American Bankers Association reported that home equity loan delinquency of at least 30 days fell two basis points in the first quarter. So, you know, car loans or, and credit cards and things like that uh, deteriorate a little, but home equity lending was better as far as loan performance goes. Always good. And then one other uh, thing I wanted to cover here, we did another wire news story that we published, and it indicated that Dale Dykema, and I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, properly, has died. He was 87. And he founded TD Service Financial in 1964. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but that company, which claims to be one of the nation's largest in providing technology-supported services to the mortgage industry, was sold last year to First American Title. So, you know, the story covers a lot more about him, and he was politically active and, you know, of course, got some good information about what he had done and the things in his life and where he started and so forth. But uh, those are some of the biggest headlines I got up here for us. There was a lot of good news last week, though, a lot of interesting stuff that I just can't get to in this call, but it uh, all looks good. Lots of good stuff. Well, if, they can, if you can't get to it, people can go, can get to it. By going to your website, Sam, it's good stuff on there, and I love it, MortgageDaily.com, or get a hold of Sam Garcia at SamGarcia at MortgageDaily.com, or his phone number, 214-521-1300. Appreciate you being here with us. We're, folks, we're going to be right back with a word from one of our sponsors, ArchMI, Lead With Us. I love this ad. Thanks, David. It's spring home buying season, and lenders are competing for business. With ArchMI Rate Star, you can dominate your market and claim the lion's share of business. 
how, RateStar allows you to assess individual loan risk more precisely. If you're hunting for more profitable business, RateStar helps you capture and close more of those loans. With RateStar, you're leader of the pack. Partner with Archimai and lead with us. I like that. Thanks, Shawnee. I appreciate it. Shawnee Hunterdale, who is uh, Head Director of Marketing for ArchMI. Now let's switch over to John Maynil. I always love these ads because they're as informative as well as helping you understand what Motivity Solutions does. But it's really the KPI of the week. It's very popular. A lot of people listen to this. So here's the KPI, KPI Key Performance Indicator of the Week from Motivity Solutions, John Maynell, VP of Client Services. Hi, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be back. And this week's key performance indicator is application to underwriting cycle time. This KPI is a measurement delivered at business days, and tracking this metric helps lenders ensure that their processes upstream from underwriting are as efficient as they can be. Our clients generally find that the sooner their qualified borrowers receive an underwriting decision, the less likely those borrowers are to shop around. So this KPI can ultimately boost app-to-funded pull-through as well, which is the KPI we focused on last week. So we're really beginning to connect the dots between operational efficiency and customer satisfaction. And once again, this and other KPIs we will be talking about in the coming weeks always demonstrate that what gets measured gets results. And uh, with that, I will thank you again, Dave, and turn it back to you. Good stuff. What gets measured gets results. And Andy Shell's been known to say that just a few times. Andy Shell, good to have uh, you here with us, friend. Absolutely. Stay You're cool. heading up to Alaska next week, aren't you? I am. We're, we're meeting our good friends at Denali Federal Credit Union, a great local lender there in Anchorage. We're, we've been working with them for a while, known some of their team for a long time. But, yeah, so, you know, if, you, if, if California is too hot, Go on all the way up to Anchorage. You'll cool off. Oh, it's so big. Yeah. Problem, though, with being up there at this time of the year, the sun never sets. You know that's that? You used to live up there. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it stays, uh, well, it actually goes, it actually technically sets. It goes below the horizon, but it doesn't get dark. You can play golf all night. So, yeah, you got to have the uh, eye shades. A Bill Cosgrove's dream. He, you know, do they have golf courses up there? You can play all night. That's just a, uh, David yeah, Kittle and Cosgrove. That's where they need to go. <laughs> yeah, there's some nice oh, anyway. courses, not like California, but yeah, there's some good ones. So, Dave, today is, All right. real quick, uh, the servicing webinar starts this week in two days. In two days, on Wednesday, we start our servicing webinar. This first webinar through more MBA education is on mortgage servicing and subservicing part one, which is an overview. But in this overview, we're going to talk about how much money can you make in servicing. We're going to talk about return on investment in servicing and how you can make a you know, what's a good return? Is 50% a good return? A lot of mortgage companies can make that or even 100% return. That's kind of pushing it. Wow. Do you know that in servicing, you can make two over 200% return on investment. It is astounding. It is an astounding business. It's a great business. It's a customer-facing business. It's a labor-intensive business, but it relies on technology heavily, and it can make crazy, crazy money. So we're going to talk about how that works. That's next week. Good. Excited about well, that. you got a few people leading forward going, got to write code. Rewind. For those who are listening on downloaded bases, rewind, listen to that time. It's good. That's good, 200%. Man. Love to listen. To that. You, you, you got that. That's a well attended. You've been doing this for numerous times for the NBA. So, good job on that. So, any other pearls of wisdom you have for us there, Profit Doctor? Bottom line stuff. Let's talk about bottom line stuff. What can people yeah, do to always. improve their bottom line? What's your number one tip for how to improve the bottom line today? Pay attention to the details. 
And it's just like the motivity yeah. thing. It's what gets measured, gets results. It's actually what, what get measured gets managed, and what gets managed gets results. Because it's not just measuring it. you got to then do something about it. So that's the trick. Yeah. you gotta you got to understand the metrics. you got to understand your workflow. You've got to understand your turn times. You've got to establish turn times to begin with. you got to know what good enough is. And then once you know what good enough is, you then measure if people are doing it good enough, and then if they aren't, you, you adjust. It's not just knowing the answer, it's doing something about it. And that's the part that, that so we really help true. people figure out. It's, it's that next step. It's the push through to implementation. That's, our, that's kind of one of our key mantras is push the implementation. It doesn't just happen. It's like consultants come in and throw you a, a you know, 40-page report and charge them $30,000, <laughs> and it just sits there on the table. That is such a horrible thing to do, and I've seen that happen over and over. Right. That is not how we do it. We make sure it gets done, and it, and it may be a year for it to get done, but you've got to push through to the end to get the results. And you actually have a service where people can you retain you and MBS to actually do the accounting for those that are saying we're small enough or confused. I mean, you actually can do it for them. Yeah, exactly. So for if you've got a, you know, if you're less than, you know, in the less than 200 million range, then you can use QuickBooks. I mean, there's some great accounting systems out there. Loan Vision is an amazing system. Accounting for mortgage banking, great system, big market share. But QuickBooks is like the biggest accounting system in the world, more users than any other system. Yep. And you can use that to do loan level profitability. So you can know what your profit per originator is, your profit per branch is, your profit per product. You've got to know this stuff. And you can do that with QuickBooks. You have to customize it a little bit, but we do that. And then we actually take the loan data, which is sometimes hard to understand. How do you post a lender credit? How do you deal with a cure? How do you put all the fees in the right places so you get these really cool reports? But we do that for folks on a fee basis. So per loan basis, we, we do everything. It's in the cloud, wherever that is. It's in the cloud, and people can access it. We go in, our bookkeepers <laughs> access it. it, and they post stuff, and it, it works great. Yeah, you got a great service. I appreciate you sharing that. To encourage people to check it out, go to MBS. In fact, just write Andy. Go Andy at MBS-team.com. Great guy. A lot of good skills there, and I encourage you to check it out. Check him out. He's good. And then get that webinar. Dave? What's the date of that webinar? Starts next week? It starts this Wednesday. This, this week. week. Two days. This yeah. week. That's good. Well, good, good. They can learn about it by going to the MBA website, correct? Yes, mba.org. Click on education and look for webinars. Perfect. Excellent. Well, we're going to be right back with uh, kicking off our series on GSE reform. Is it good for independent mortgage bankers? There's some saying it is not. Well, we've got Bill Cosgrove on hold. We're going to be turning on his mic after this ad break to talk about his article and the whole kick off this whole discussion for the month of July. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor of the Licking on Lending program. Known formally as DNH, Finastra's global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot Mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com. So good to have you with us, everybody. For those of you who are listening on a downloaded basis, again, this is July 10th, and we have as our hot topic guest, Bill Cosgrove 
who is the founder and the chairman of Union Home Mortgage. And, Bill, it's good to have you back, friend. Always fun to have you on. Well, thank you, David. It's great to be here. Good to, good to hear your voice. It's good to hear yours as well. And, again, many people want to know what your secret was for pulling Alice Alvey into your company. She's high profile. Just signals that you, if you really stay persistent, you can get the top talent. And Alice is top talent, and you did a great job. So kudos to you, my friend. I want to start off by making all of our listeners, well, I guess I already did earlier in the program, but for those who are just kind of fast-forwarding to get to the hot topic segment, you wrote an article that was published in Housing Wire, June 29th, and just last week, and you started off the article with this sentence. It appears to be a concerted, well-funded campaign out there spreading the myth that congressional GSE reform is bad for small lenders, and you said, as a small lender yourself... I promise that you promised the reader and promised anyone buying in on what you're saying, we're going to hear about that in a minute, that getting Fannie and Freddie Mac out of conservatorship and locking in the field-leveling changes, leveling changes that the GSE reform could bring about was going to be good for small lenders. And, man, that is good news. So let's get into that topic. Let's start with this, Bill. There, I want to talk about the well-funded campaign that's out there. Who do you think's behind it? I'm not trying to get name names, but why does that exist? Because that's just not accurate. So let's dispel that myth right out of the gate. Well, you know, I think, David, so, you know, it goes back to 2015 when, when Corker Warner turned into Johnson Crapo, and we were very close to GSE reform at that time. I was vice chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association within months of being chairman. So, you know, I was very, uh, along with many other members of MBA and the MBA staff, very active in those negotiations on Johnson Crapo. And I saw right at the end of those negotiations, there seemed to be a lot of, let's call it, infighting and name-calling in between different associations and different groups representing the mortgage industry. So it seemed as though that as the debate got hotter, so to speak, the different trade associations, all well-meaning, but everybody tried to take corners and take people in their corner in the debate. So it seems as though, you know, we're a we're an industry that, you know, our voice is more powerful when it's one voice. Our voice is more powerful when there's not infighting. Our voice is more powerful when there's no backstabbing or name calling right. or saying that, that I represent this group and you don't represent group, whether it's large lenders or midsize or small. And it seems as though when when GSE reform gets hot, it seems as though the name calling and the turf yes. wars start to take place. And that's not that doesn't benefit our membership. That yep. doesn't benefit consumers. And that's what we see happening again here uh, right now, unfortunately. That is, an, that is so unfortunate. If you can just, it's just, this is so we can educate and begin to engage on this. Tell our listeners some of the reasons, some of the others that are out there, again, not naming the names of them, but why are some of them thinking that this is bad? What's the basis for that? I, I cannot get You know, that. I'm, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm really not sure, David. But what what we need to remember, and again, I'm, I'm an independent mortgage banker and have been for 31 years, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are, are very important 
important to our business. They're, they're important to our liquidity. And going forward, a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac of the future and whatever they call them is still very important to the future success yeah. of housing in America. That being said, we have short memories because before conservatorship, there was not G fee parity. There were special deals right. being given to all the big boys countrywide had their special deal. Everybody had special deals. So what we all forget is the fact that prior to conservative conservatorship, small to mid-sized mortgage bankers had no chance of competing with the big boys. Okay, that that right. Fact I remember that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Fact number two is it took conservatorship for us at NBA and other trade associations to make these gains and even the playing field with everyone else in the industry with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So you've also seen the beginnings uh, a little bit in the 1% down program, a little bit in some other programs. You've already seen the beginnings of Fannie and Freddie competing on just more than service and competing right. on more than just price. They're all they're starting to cut special deals again. And if you take that out five, seven, eight years, I assure you, independent mortgage bankers will be the loser. So history repeats itself. If there is not GSE reform, if you fast forward five to eight years, I believe independent mortgage bankers will be back in the spot that we were in before conservatorship, and that's a loser for all smaller mid-sized lenders. Well, you have been real active at the MBA, both as a former chairman, as a vice chairman, as you said earlier. You have been at the forefront. I can't think of anyone better to really kind of help get in and talk about the many proposals that have been out there. So let's do a little bit, if you can cover from a historical perspective, Bill, pulling on your many years of being in front and center in D.C., testifying and all of that, you and my, our mutually good friend David uh, Kittle. Let's talk about the single biggest risk. Is it that they're going to, that you see a creeping back to the old days where we're seeing a disadvantage, disadvantage playing out for the small guy? And what can independent mortgage bankers do? And I think you've been a great example of this by getting involved. So, you know, talk about the disadvantage. I think you kind of touched on that. But then also, what can mortgage bankers, independent mortgage bankers do to really have their voice heard? Yeah, and I, it's, it's two great questions. So, so number one, David, you know, I think we see, again, as I mentioned, we see hints of the beginning of a return to the past where larger lenders are getting special product deals. There could be special pricing deals. You know, business is shrinking a little bit, so Fannie and Freddie have to get aggressive, and they're getting aggressive, I believe, in a way long-term that's detrimental to small and mid-sized lenders. Now, I'm talking about over a five, seven-year period. Also, if you don't have GSE reform, you do have the political risk of one of the agencies needing needing a draw. So. Um, right. Although the, the 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 playing field is today more level than it's ever been, and you see the results, you see the results. It's a yeah. healthier market. It's a more balanced market in that. Better sense. for the consumer too. Uh, it's better. Absolutely, absolutely great for better. the consumer. And I and I do believe I do believe if if you if if there was no GSE reform, 
and five, seven, eight years forward in our business is a heck of a long time. I do believe you would see business practices of well-meaning intention, very important, needed agencies, needed, we need Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or, or something like them called, you know, something like them. We need them, but I do believe some of the business practices long-term and we're already seeing hints of that would go back. So that, you know, that's the reason why, in my mind, and also I think in the minds of, of most members of the Mortgage Banker Association, GSC reform is is really imperative. Number two, you you asked a great question involved how, how to get involved and and how to make a difference. I look at our friends, the community bankers, and you know, gosh, I spend a lot of time in Washington, more time than I ever dreamed I would spend 20 years ago in Washington. And the community you bankers, are there, though. I was taught, thankfully, many years ago that that what happens outside the four walls of my company is is as important as what happens inside the four walls. And so I was I was given that gift of activism, and uh, I try to share it because I think it's just good business and the right thing to do. But you know, I'm 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 amazed that community bankers are very good at what they do, but they are almost godlike in in Washington. And they are a friend of Washington. The community bankers, our politicians adore them. And I look at the independent mortgage bankers, and we do the exact same thing. We do a great job. Right. We do it compliantly. We do it competitively. We put people in homes. The ability to repay is very important. Our day-to-day work is exactly the same as the community mortgage, uh, the community bankers, but yet we are misunderstood and sometimes maligned on Capitol Hill. I know. And I, know. I think at the end of the yeah, and I think at the end of the day, if more independent mortgage banker owners and executives would be in D.C. and be active in D.C. and build relationships in D.C. and really tell our story, we would be so much more better off. And I I just promote that because I think it's the right thing for our industry. We don't get the credit we deserve, small, mid-sized, independent mortgage bankers. And I think mortgage bankers in general of all types simply don't get the credibility that we deserve in Capitol Hill. And thankfully, groups like the Mortgage Bankers Association and other good trade associations help make that happen. Well, the leveling of guarantee fees should just wake everybody up. And knowing how special deals, you and I have watched that happen across the board over our years. And so let's get Alice in on this discussion. Alice, leveling of guarantee fees is just one aspect of it. You certainly see many other aspects to it. Let's get you in on this discussion. Thanks, Dave. Hi, Bill, and welcome to the program. So, um, Thank you, Alice. I, think and I should say, yeah, and I, I should say that now that you've joined them, I'm grateful, Bill, that you allow Alice to stay on the program. It's good for your company; gives you great exposure. But we're really grateful to have her here, and we really appreciate you as your new staff to have her continue her legacy here on the program. So, thank you for that as well, Alice. Oh, thanks, thanks, Dave. Well, I, I enjoyed doing it. So. Um, yeah, so I, on the MBA reform, I think for those who are still maybe a few steps back and trying to understand what is on the table today, right? So there's the choice to perhaps follow a blueprint like what the MBA has laid out. And I think for those of you who haven't seen it, you can download it and page seven of it. It has a nice little table and summary so you can look at headings and look at the before, the current, and after ideas. 
So the MBA's model is that we have to get Congress to move, and that's why we as an industry have to push that versus others who are suggesting, well, can't we just do stockholder arrangements and other arrangements that don't require Congress and kind of, you know, backdoor this thing to try and keep the status quo? Do you, can you, and help us a little bit understand the, the pros and cons of each, especially the MBA, the benefits of the MBA program over the other concepts that are out there for you know, doing very little or changing just the GSE structure. Alice, you'd like me to do that? Well, if yes. you have an idea of an MBA, yes, over, yeah, MBA over, you know, some of the other plans that are out there. Some MBA of the other initiatives, yeah. Some of the other plans that are out there. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think the, the MBA plan, first of all, we got to remember, the MBA plan was was put together by the, their GSC task force. I was not a member of that task force. One of our executives uh, was, Al Blank was. There are over 50 executives representing all parts of the industry, every large, uh, mid-sized, small, independent mortgage banker, credit union. Everybody was involved in that. It took them over a year of hard work to put that together. And I think it it took them well over a year, as we talked about, to build consensus when it comes to uh, GSE reform. Much like the first proposal back in Johnson Crapo, you know, this proposal is, is simply a matter of coming through, taking at least two entities, which one would be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, giving two entities that would, and, and possibly more, on down the line that would be competitive in order, order to be a securitization platform. So you would take multiple guarantors, and that's the term that's used, multiple guarantors, you would take the single security, which is being worked on now, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you wouldn't get the manipulation you know, between the two securities now. You would have single security, you would have multiple guarantors, you would also have a clear, bright line between the primary and secondary market. There could be just a limited investment in both sides of it, so you have a, a clear a uh, bright line between the primary and secondary market because you would not want one of the top five large mega banks almost to become their own GSC. So MBA's position paper eliminates that possibility. And what you would have from there is a, a flow of, of capital that is much like today's. And there would be a long process in which in which that process would, would evolve. I'd rather not speak on the others at this point. You know, I would let other folks that have more information and is really an expert on the other proposals. I've been so knee-deep in the MBA proposal. I couldn't do justice to, to look at the other proposals. Well, thank you. Yeah, that, that was perfect. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, good. And one of the things I want to point out to everybody, I mean, you just have to look at the Financial Choice Act of 2.0. The Financial Choice Act 2.0, and you find out who's really in behind some of these, some of the forces that are there, and it, there's there's some real interesting things. And you go back to listen to the program where I had Ari Karen on talking about some of that. You've got to get involved, folks, and that's what Bill has done. I celebrate Bill Cosgrove's success of the industry and much of what it has to do with the leadership because he's taken time, and it's so essential that you do that. Joe, let's go to you, and then we'll Andy over over to Andy. Joe. Yeah, uh, Bill, a quick question. I'm, I'm kind of confused if we separate the GSEs from the government, take them into the private sector, 
How much, and you mentioned retaining the the level guarantee fee across you know all all size companies. How does that happen? And that signif- seems to say there are strings attached. How, how does yeah, that that's, privatize? That's a, yeah, that's a great question. You know, MBA's proposal creates utility that would be regulated, and the profitability would be regulated by FHFA. And we all know that that although the the old system worked perfectly for 40 years, one of the ways that it got off the rail was the fact that you had stockholders that that obviously push profits. And when you're pushing stock price, you you may be doing things that that are not in the best long-term interest uh, of the uh, you know of the industry, and maybe not in the the best long-term interest of consumers. So. One of the fixes there is a utility model that the profitability of that model is regulated by FHFA, and you would have more conservative long-term capital, private capital involved as stockholders that would be looking at more returns like you get from a utility-type model. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. It does. It does. The MBA struggled on that a while. I wanted to go one point that you made in your article here it says there's no ne- there's no guarantee that the next FHFA director will have equal access for small and will allow or make for equal ac- access for small lenders as a priority such as Mel Watts has done and I really think that's a really good point is that we do have that as a distinct possibility and you say yeah but we've got Trump he seems to be very small business friendly and so there's some good anticipation but we don't know and I think the reality is is yeah. getting uh, getting something that's fair transparent and non-discriminatory is what you bring out in your article folks if you have not got that article go read our bills article there's a lot of good points Andy Shell let's get you in on here get your thoughts you always got some great perspective and questions well, thanks, Dave. Hey, Bill. Great, great to have you on the show. Thank you. There are a lot of people who are deeper into this than me have written things and commented on things, and not the least of which is is Bill here on the phone. So let me just initially confess, I'm a pessimist. I believe that <laughs> laws are changed because they chase money. Uh, I I spent part of my career with Bank of America in San Francisco, where. We'd call up Fannie Mae and said, hey, we got a billion to sell, and we'd call up Freddie Mac, hey, we got a billion to sell over a month period, and we'd get our best GFI, and they would do whatever we told them to do, including waivers on all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, uh, and so money talks, and we are in a capitalistic society, and while I do think we need to be cognizant of protecting broad-based benefits to the consumer as a whole by preventing the special deals that were in the past from happening again, I'm just very pessimistic that it's going to not be prevented despite our best efforts now. So what laws are harder to change than administrative directives, so we absolutely have to have it be a law. But what's your confidence level that it's going to stick and the big banks and the big sellers aren't going to buy a bunch of congressmen through campaign contributions and, and get this thing reversed again? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Well, I, I could tell you this, that without GSE reform, we're going to go back to exactly this scenario, the platform that you brought up. That's exactly what will happen. We've already had a couple steps, baby steps in that direction. So without GSE reform, we're going to get back there. You could already see it on the horizon. There's hints of it. We've got to remember 
GSE, the G fees themselves becoming balanced only happened by Mel Watt, and it only happened after conservatorship. It did not happen prior hmm. to that. We, we need to, yeah, we need to know that. that. That's important to remember because without GSE reform, the next director of FHFA may have a, a total different look than, than Mel Watt. So all the balancing came after conservatorship, and that's, that's very important to know. I think the other thing we need to, to, to mention is the fact that, that this idea that MBA is only for the big guys, you know, it's funny. The people who say that are never in the room when yeah. policy is being discussed. I never see them anywhere on Capitol Hill, and I assure you is one, not the only one, there's many. The one mid-size, you know, I'm a mid-size mortgage banker, and I assure you that, that the power of MBA, MBA advocates for all members. I assure you that they advocate for independent mortgage bankers, and we advocate for everybody. I've been in the room. Others have been in the room. Very simply put, if MBA did not represent Union Home and our best interests, I wouldn't be a member of MBA. Now, I will tell you, the other trade groups are, are well-meaning. They're well-intentioned. There's room for everybody at the table. But the idea that your business model is going to be, we are for the small mortgage banker and MBA is not, that is, that is horse manure. That is wrong. And I've been in the room and I will tell you it's wrong. MBA has advocated very hard for the independent mortgage banker. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I think that needs to be said. Good point. Uh, but again, there's no, there's no room in this debate there's no room for finger pointing. We all want the best interest for our consumers and for the industry, and there, there, there just is no room for finger pointing. And to be honest with you, it's just dead wrong. I know better. Thank you, Andy. Uh, we're out of time, folks. Hard to believe this hour just flies by every time we sit here and get into the, one of these discussions. And, uh, Bill, I want to just thank you so much for being here. Again, we've had as our special guest today Bill Cosgrove, who is the president and CEO of Union Home Mortgage. Thank you so much for being here with us. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, my friend, and thanks for all you do. We appreciate you, Bill. Next week, we've got David Stevens is going to be here with us talking on the same topic. We are lining up some other guests for the second half of the month. If you've got people that you would like for us to interview and have on the program, be sure to let us know. You can email me at david at tms-advisors.com. Look forward to hearing from you, everybody. Appreciate you taking time. Again, special thank you goes out to Alice, Andy, Joe, and Sam for making the content of this program so powerful. And, of course, thank you to all of our sponsors. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back next week. Have a good one. You've been listening to Licken on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Licken of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.